0: This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one.
1: Welcome to the Noise Creators Podcast. I am your host, Jesse Cannon, and today we have a repeat guest. It is Alan Douchess, mastering engineer extraordinaire from West West Side Music. You probably know Alan because he's mastered a large amount of the popular indie records of the past three decades. Everyone from Brand New, Every Time I Die, Thrice, LCD Sound System, Animal Collective, Converge, Mastodon. And like literally like tens of thousands of more. He is one of the most credited engineers in the history of music, if not in the top five. It really is that astounding if you look it up. Alan and I go through a broad range of topics. And what we wanted to talk about is a lot of things that seem to be pressing issues in the mixing, mastering community that people don't understand. And I knew there was no better person to talk to about this stuff than him. So I wanted to get his opinions on things. So this show is a little bit different than most of our episodes. It's a little bit more free range and going all over the place. But I think we have an amazing conversation and hit on a lot of things that aren't often discussed, but are really, really important. Before we get to the fun, I want to tell you about one of our fellow Jabberjaw Podcast Network podcasts. The Metal Sucks Podcast is the premier podcast in the metal community. Every episode features an interview with a member of a well-known band with recent guests, including members of Between the Buried and Me, The Black Dahlia Murder, I Hate God, Royal Thunder, and more. Tune in every Monday for a new episode featuring co-hosts Brandon and Pete's insight on the latest metal news and gossip, comedy sketches, and more. As well, I want to remind you, I have a new book out that if you enjoy this podcast and the thoughts in it, I think you'll probably enjoy. It's called Processing Creativity. It's all about the pitfalls that happen when you're trying to make great music that get in your way and trip you up. It talks about how to avoid them. It's on audiobook, ebook, and physical book. However you'd like to get it, ProcessingCreativityBook.com has more and after you listen to this podcast if you enjoy what alan has to say i urge you to go check out his noise creators profile it has a spotify playlist with a bunch of records he's done his bio a huge amount of his discography but not near all of it because that's way too much work and tons more check it out One second before we get started with this interview. Noise Creators is able to do these cool podcasts because we're a service, and we're trying to get the word out about our service to people. So if you enjoy this podcast, it's really, really important that you share it to people so more people can get to know what we're doing trying to connect musicians with producers to make better music and make better records for you all to listen to. So please, please, please help us out if you like this and like what we're doing, share it tweet it facebook it instagram it tumble it whatever you like to do do that as well we're going to start doing a really cool thing if there's a great quote from these podcasts that you really enjoy put it on a graphic tweet it facebook it take a picture of it and send it to us at noise creators on every single one of the social networks and what we're going to do is we're going to share the best ones and if you're one of the best ones We're going to send you a list of prizes we have. We have a bunch of cool, rare things from bands that aren't as much of a use to us. We have a couple of extras of rare pressings of vinyl, all sorts of cool stuff. You can choose from a list, and we'll send that out to you for free if you share a really cool quote that we like and we use. Thanks so much for helping out, and please, please, please help us spread the word on our service. Thanks. So, the most common question I've been getting lately that I don't know how to answer, so... I always defer to you when I don't know an answer or something is I've been having a lot of my clients say they feel like they hear something that's going on in the mastering that makes bigger artists music sound better on Spotify and YouTube particularly than the indie artists and my normal thing is to brush this off that this is a outer world magic that people have when they're not hearing their own music and they're not being as critical and they just are hearing the music they enjoy and that is actualized from others with that though i do know that YouTube and Spotify are, I mean, I, I guess Spotify this last week changed their level down 3D. Yeah, yeah, and, right. So are you feeling like there needs to be, we already know that you got to optimize for vinyl versus digital, but are you feeling like there should be a master that's different from CD, vinyl, and then what's called normalized streaming services? And for anybody, I should actually say this, it's some people may not know this, that what once was the loudness war, everybody talked about it, the Interesting thing that's been happening now is that YouTube, Apple Music, Spotify, and all the services are normalizing all the files so they're all relatively the same volume and getting closer and closer to finding what makes it so no song is super loud, like how the commercials are probably are on your TV, how a commercial can be... 10db louder than the tv show you're watching regularly so what we're saying is is how do you optimize that so your songs get the biggest impact
0: well you've got to look at every format that you know and especially where you're marketing if you're going to be spending you know a predominant amount of either time or money in a certain uh market be it youtube you know or if you're going to be trying to get on a a Spotify playlist or uh, iTunes playlist or something, you know, you're going to have to recognize what you're up against in those, those modes and those, those that sound.
1: So tell me what that recognizing looks like. Sonically speaking, you know, feel free to take that as you will. Okay. As volume levels are
0: coming down, people are allowing more dynamics to pass through there. In other words, the, uh, the algorithms, the, the, um, that are playing back the audio through, you know, the computer streaming services, et cetera, and so forth. They're not looking at just a P kit. They're looking at a, an RMS value. They're looking at a, you know, uh, a kind of a body of sound Issue and they're waiting it there many cases They're you know They're taking off a certain frequency or or or, you know Adjusting for that within their their waiting mechanisms and they're trying to then come up with a number that gets stored within their Meta metadata that scans through and says oh, okay Well, this song should only be played at this volume versus this song should be played at that volume One of the reasons they they've been bringing it down is that they're realizing that people on the other side are putting on DSP processing people are putting eqs on people are putting you know gain control on their own on things so they have to leave headroom within their algorithm to allow the you know the laptop iphone portable device whatever to do its dsp without clipping uh and you know everybody just wants to add frequencies nobody wants to take anything away so that Mm -hmm. so that that's a big reason why they're bringing that down so so yeah you have to play to that you have to you have to recognize
1: what would playing to that look like in practice
0: uh if you're going to be spending money on marketing your music online uh, you know, through the streaming services, you've got to you've got to watch what you're doing with your volume. The louder you go, the worse it's going to sound. It's just that simple. You know, but you can't so, be too so quiet. But, but the louder, but it's not going to be full sounding.
1: Yeah, I was so I was going to say. So, what does that medium look like, though? Is that a like? Is there a dB? like rating that is right like is a you know like everybody likes to say like you know the chris lord alge mixes at minus six db or whatever like is there an ideal in your mind that gets a good good result
0: you know i'm listening through the 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 codex so i'm i'm kind of comparing it to uh, can, can other put, references Can you put
1: that in layman's terms of listening through the codex I, i'm
0: you know i'm listening through you know the the algorithms that that those Companies are using. Actually, I don't have the new one for for what's going to be happening now with uh, with Spotify. But um, you know, you have to listen to see how those are going to alter them because they're all weighting the EQ differently. So you know, each one is going to have its own little special mechanism. And even um, Sirius Radio has their own format. They don't even they've got their own file format that they're using.
1: Huh. I did not know that.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, it's a it's a kind of a proprietary thing. And I think also an interesting thing is was it Fra- Fra- Fraunhofer, the MP3 rights holder? They um, they just put something out. I think last week that they're they're no longer uh, going to be um, licensing the MP3 alg- uh, but, algorithm. But you
1: saw why that was, though, right? this because because the, the patent actually expired the month before. Oh, is that why they're saying yeah, that? They, like, they, like, 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 that like, you know, that, that that's like it was basically oh, like, so you know, funny. like, you know, what they were like saying is like it was like they got divorce papers and they're like, I'm oh. single. <laughs> like, you know, it's like oh, they're basically kind of
0: respected them there for a second. Oh, my uh, God. No, oh, well. no.
1: Yeah. It, it turned out the the patent expired a month before. So uh. that, that's the issue.
0: All right. Well, you know, I I would think something generically that people should be considering is that, you know, many maximizing, you know, softwares, uh, plugins, et cetera, and so forth. um, Very often are going to be clipping the top part of the the music off. That's not the way to make things sound full and rich through, you know, these streaming uh, services. You really have to get your music to be thicker below the transients you know, um, mm. 6 dB, 8 dB, 10 dB down, you want that body of music to be, be thick, almost like what an analog, uh, hitting analog tape would be like, you know, where it's going to be absorbing some of those transients, but they're still going to be going through. But there is a thickness, there's an underlying thickness below that air and transient level mm-hmm. because there's a lot of stuff that has air that stream that sounds really good. You know, yes, it's just when you start taking all that, you know, tra- top transient air out of it and then they're bringing the volume down on
1: top of it. It sounds like a pancake. Sounds terrible. So, I guess, like, really the thing is, too, is I guess if you are... I mean, we all know the numbers for CDs are dismal as can be. Uh, If that is the case, I I guess then it really would make sense that you really wanted just to optimize for this, especially since YouTube by double is the way people find the most new music. And Spotify, obviously, Discover is changing things and growing and growing and growing, especially for avid music fans. So, really... At the end of the day, if you're only doing a digital master, you really are trying to just think about this. So you should be really focusing on what that looks like.
0: Yeah, and but it's really hard to convince people of that. You know, there there's really, you know, there's really still the old adage of it, you know, louder is better you know, and people just really feel that that's what they want. They, you know, and they're also comparing. That's another thing is that, you know, they're comparing their record to a record that they loved from seven years ago. Mm. And, you know, and they're like, oh, how come it's not as loud as this record? I'm like, well, that's seven, seven years ago. I said, we can make it that loud, but it's not, you know, I guarantee you when you hear that streamed, back-to-back, back, you know, on Spotify, you know, you're not going to be happy about it, you know, so it, it, that's, that's, I think that's probably the biggest factor that we're still looking at is that a lot of the archival stuff, oops, I said the word, mm-hmm. a lot of the archival stuff um, is still slammed, you know, and, um, and that's
1: what we're referencing to. So I, here's a, here's a question on the future. So now do you see just as well, I remember like when I started working for you, so let's call this ni- 1999. We were doing a lot of updates to records that had been first done when CDs first came out. And we were remastering them to kind of be in the loudness war. And then now, do you see there being at some point a trend where we're going to have oh, yeah. to unengineer it's it's those? It's already happening, it's already happening.
0: Yeah, we're, we've been, you know, uh, doing it for Epitaph with their J3 uh, releases, doing it with Relapse with some of their releases. It's probably most brought up because of the vinyl situation. So um, when you want to cut vinyl and you want it to sound great, you know, you've got to go back and make sure that the frequency response and the uh, dynamic response can match that format. So, you know, you don't want a lot of out of phase, low frequency information. You don't want a lot of, you know, sub stuff going on, especially on those inner grooves. You got to watch your high frequency compression. So and, and especially on, like I say, track five on each side. So as we're going back to those reissues for vinyl, we're also looking at mastered fry tunes. And we're also looking for, you know, backing up 2496 without any limiting or, or digital compression whatsoever.
1: So th- there's another one. So Mastered for iTunes. So now what's called you'd be making four masters, a CD, a streaming services, a Vital, and a Mastered for iTunes. I've been hearing the argument that no one buys Mastered for iTunes, that you're literally paying for a master for 300 people if your record sells 10,000 copies. Well, they're u-
0: they're using those for streaming as well.
1: So, oh, so that's interesting. So that argument yeah. is
0: mute. Yeah, it is. mute. And but it's also, you know, that's a, a misconception, too, that we get from a lot of people like they don't want to go there because they think that there is a huge expense in going there when, in fact, because we'll have the high res we're, we're mastering to a high resolution 2496 format. You know, it's only upon exporting for the different formats that things change often. So it's not like it's a complete remaster. You so know, so people... to break
1: that into layman's terms, what you're saying is is you're capturing everything full bit into your thing. Then you afterwards make files for the appropriate format. So the vital Streaming, Master for iTunes, those are all a file that you get after your analog system. And then after that, you make the various different files.
0: It, it, simplified, yeah, that, that's right. You know, obviously we're looking at what our primary um, export functions, export formats might be. But yeah, exactly. You know, we're we're looking at the mastering session, you know, because we're doing a lot of work in the analog domain, we're looking at it as, okay, how do we preserve this at the highest possible quality? And then once it gets into digital, we go, okay, how do we now make sure that it's going to really work on this format or this format?
1: Gotcha. So let's get away from that. And let's get to another uh, trend I see being discussed a lot, which is I see a lot of people and not necessarily layman's saying that they think the conversion of going to analog is not worth it in mastering and that you should stay digital if your mix is digital and you're not subbing through analog. I, I think the argument is is a discussion.
0: Yeah. You know, there you know, it depends upon, you know, what the mix might need. If you know, if you're coming out for solely for EQ then, yeah, you might have a little bit of an argument there
1: so is that because digital eq is now just as good as say going through a massenberg
0: i think I think there's lots of options, yeah, I think that you have you know um and maybe that there's some surgical stuff especially that is really uh, works well in digital, and so you know doing eq for just eq sake often in the um uh, the analog domain is is kind of like well we can do this in digital too so why not just do it in digital? It depends though if you if you want to color from something I mean you know the Massenberg has a certain you know characteristic it's it it is very transparent but it also has a nice phase response about it so as you're twisting and turning it it does kind of give certain areas more clarity so it's a it's a choice as mm. to whether or not you want to use you know a digital weiss or if you want to use the massenberg a massive passive or something so i think that's where we're we're at right now it's like it's not you're right uh you know eight years ago you know it was just like the digitally cues still were you know just surgical pieces they weren't really yeah. giving us a lot of color you know, are, as I think now they're, they're building some color into it. Although, you know, you can talk about the whole digital grid and whether or not what the resolution of that EQ and that, uh, um, that aesthetic is.
1: You okay. Know. Uh, why don't you do this though? Talk about this digital grid because you're, uh, I've heard you discuss this before, but I think this is an interesting thing because I've only heard you discuss this. So talk about this for the audience. All right. Well, it's,
0: you know it, it stems from the the whole concept of the way MP3s were made, which is, or whether they designed the, the compression algorithm, which is about masking, which is that when you have one frequency, and then you add another frequency. If that, that if that next frequency is a, an exact double of the first frequency, you will hide the the other frequency behind it. And there's a whole you know set of harmonic series that will start to get hidden behind the dominant tone that you're hearing. And this this was invented I think it was this in the 40s or maybe the 30s. Some somebody discovered it with like tuning forks or something. So when when you understand that and that you're actually missing frequencies, you have to look at the grid, the digital grid, whatever sample rate you're at whatever bit depth you're at and say are you aligning perfectly if it's 440 and 880 and that's what's going in together you're going to start to miss some of those harmon- those other frequencies in there that's the that's the masking effect and when there isn't as as many places to put those new harmonics they wind up falling on similar harmonics in which case they get masked Whereas in the analog domain, you know there, there there is no sample rate, there is no bit depth. There's a there's actually a, a higher noise floor, but but there's no grid. So there's you know infinite more places along that grid to to ha- put harm, harmonies and harmonics and noise and distortions, whatever it is, and that it still stays part of the music. So when you go from one analog piece to another analog piece, you're not storing it within that grid. In the digital system, you're start you're masking a lot once you start doing a process. It can't it can't calculate in between the numbers, you know. So it's it, it that's why I think a lot of guys, like you said, like, yeah, the digital EQ is great, but why would you choose to use the analog EQ? You go, Well, because we're coming out into the analog world for, you know, to this really cool compressor or you know or we want to hit tape or something so now those analog tools are going to sound better than the digital tools because we're not missing that masking effect that grid we're not stuck to that grid is that that's the only place it can store or calculate information on does that make any sense
1: no it does yes so but then with that i mean we're now at the point that uh i guess if you're a 25 year old the vast majority of records you came up on hearing through your musical existence were done in Pro Tools or on some d- digital format. So while we could talk about all this stuff, there's something to be said that most of the music any any of these people have loved has been done digitally, and all of this was just fine, da 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 Right, what's the take on that? Yeah, well... <laughs> what's the, the takeaway? I, I think here's the thing is, is while we could talk about bits and grids and all these... Uh- yeah, but I
0: think I think the, the I think the takeaway is just that you you're making a more complex waveform in analog that you finally store. Mm. Whereas, whereas I think if you're doing all this DSP in digital, you're just you're with each calculation you do, you're you're kind of limiting the grid size, even though the grid stays the same. You you know you can't fall in between here and then fall in between there. and then and then it's a new calculation there. You always have to be on that grid, so you're constantly, losing resolution with each DSP process. Mm. In the analog world, you know, you're not you're not storing it on the grid. It's just it's, it's wherever it happens to happen. And so therefore, you're getting a much, you know, richer harmonic signal. It's, you know, it's kind of like when everybody's playing together in the room versus everybody just overdubbing separately. There's, you know, micro harmonics and micro, you know, dynamics that are happening in the air pressure in the room that the microphones are catching, that the, you know, that the bass mic is catching from the kick drum or that the overheads are catching from the guitar And everything is just vibrating and sympathetically, you know, moving more together and you're creating a thicker texture in the analog room, in a Mm -hmm. sense, and then those microphones are capturing it. So the the original sample is capturing a more complex waveform versus taking it in and only and doing all of the DSP and all the mixing in that grid.
1: Gotcha. Okay, so let's take that to something that you kind of alluded to. It's hard to tell young people to think about their legacy and their things but at the same time i think there's a lot of uh, musicians who do think about that they want their music to last for a long time you and i have both been going through a lot of hell with old music formats and you particularly have been having an even greater thing of hell because you deal with a lot more analog tape than i but i for example um when i started working for you we were archiving a lot to cds and dvds and those aren't working anymore can you talk about what you're seeing with best practices for archives and what you're seeing so that, people's music doesn't disappear just because they stored it badly?
0: Well, yeah, somebody, if, especially if you're in a band, somebody's got to be the archivist. You know, you've got to give somebody that job to say, listen, it's not a full-time job. It's just somebody's got to remember where the, where all the masters are and what formats they're in, you know, and maybe even having some kind of, you know, Google Doc or something that so that everybody knows and it's just shared and it's there's not just one copy of that. But one of the important things is just recognizing that the format's will become extinct <laughs> yeah. you know and so as you are moving along if you backed up to CDRs and then suddenly Yeah, maybe maybe something happens and you got a a song in a movie and then suddenly, you know, somebody wants to reissue the record. But, you know, well, it just didn't sound right back then. Can we can we remaster it? Can we remix it? Whatever that situation may be. And you go back to those CDRs and they're not reading anymore or, you know, DVDRs or whatever they are. So you've got to make an assessment. This archivist needs to make an assessment as to when a format needs to be transferred to another format. To the, to the next generation. So if it were, at, you see the beauty of that is the analog tape, the analog machines are still all working and still all sounding good. We can bake tapes and transfer them and they still sound awesome. But that's, you know, it's way more div, uh, difficult in the digital domain to get these devices to work. An ADAP, an old ADAP machine, an old DA88 machine, oh, my God, these things are just horrendous, trying to get those tapes to read on those things sometimes, you know. So, you know, so so this archivist should know, like, okay, you know what, right now we're on, you know, optical, you know, drives okay we're going to magnetic drives or we're going to go to you know flash memory now mm-hmm. you know whatever this is and you know you don't have to rush to it because when you rush to that new technology you know it's going to be expensive yes <laughs> you know and and leave that for us but you know recognize that like okay yeah you know we back this up to you know a removable uh, hard drive you know um what were the, whatever those things were called those caddies with the cyclist uh, drives right yes you know so, you know, well, who's got a re- who's got a cyclist drive with one of those big SCSI things on it that can actually read the data? So you've got to say, you know what, that's a, that's becoming extinct. Let's move it to a, you know, a more contemporary backup device and, and keep the old ones. It's just, you know, you, you've got to be smart about that. We, you know, we've been making the transitions ourselves, even, you know, from the AIT backup systems, which were the tape based digital systems mm-hmm. to, you know, standard hard drives. And it's, ta- you know, it takes years. to to retrieve all that stuff.
1: Yes. How confident are you in hard drives opening in 20 years? Not at all. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Yeah. So what's the option? What's the option?
0: Well, you know, you've got to spin them up every once in a while, every year or two. I, I don't know the exact, you know, specification, but, you know, the, the bearings need to be exercised, you know, um, again, this is that archivist job, you know, like, all right, yeah, there's a hard drive, boot it on, boot it open. And typically speaking, you know, within a couple of years, probably, or a year or two, you'll be able to have another hard drive at, you know, one third the cost. So, you know, just buy another hard drive and and make a copy. But when, when we also talk about like how, you know, how likely are they to, you know, be able to be rebooted 20 years from now, you've got to have two, you know, in digital, unless you have two, you don't have one. That's a, that's the first saying you got to do.
1: I, I, I mean, we hit on this a little on this podcast, but, 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 but give a more thorough breakdown of what that means.
0: Well, because you know, the accident, In digital is devastating you know if if is the directory structure is is ruined on the hard drive you know if uh, the the mechanism the you know the arm the dancer arm breaks whatever it is that entire hard drive is down you know it was one of the reasons why I never really went for large raid hard drive systems or something because you know when one hard drive goes down if you've got a if you've got a 300 meg or I'm sorry a 300 gig hard drive Versus a two terabyte hard drive, when the 300 uh, gig hard drive goes down, you only lost 300 gigs of data rather than when the two terabyte yes. goes down, you know, you lose two terabytes of data. So, I mean, and, you, and it's hard. Sometimes you can't get the smaller, smaller drives, you know, you got to have two because it's going to fail. They, right, they 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 put this mean time before uh, errors uh, rating on hard drives.
1: Oh, and I didn't know that. So, so I they, think
0: that's what mean time before Error. I think that's what it is yeah there's a rating that they that they have to list on the drives when they sell them now I don't know if they're when they're repackaged if they're in there but when we were first purchasing drives we would see those and we'd say you know okay you know 60,000 hours before you know uh, the meantime error or something and uh, you'd think 60,000 hours we're fine you know. But then the drive would would fail and you go, was that 60,000 hours? What happened hmm. there? And that's when you learn you got to have two. you know, we call ours a mean and a safe. And, you know, and we always back up to the main first and then we back up to the safe. And I just had one of our safes from a few years ago die on us. You know, we booted it on and we were pulling something off and halfway through pulling it off, it just decided to stop. And so fortunately we had the main one. And so we just bought another drive and transferred the main one over and we now we have two again. So that's what you need with the two. That's why you have to have two.
1: That's that's very similar. My my system is um, I put a date on when it goes into action. And within two years, I need to pull those both out and make them archive drives for a record or put like all the files I have and take them out of take them out of daily use
0: even you know even back in the you know 70s I mean I wasn't making records of them but 70s and 80s you know when you were making a record and you had you were recording to two inch tape at the end of the recording process after the mixes were done the uh, the the label would make copies of those they'd make another two inch copy and store it in another that's another important factor stored in another location yes you know you know you can have two hard drives you know sitting in the room with a you know with a bathroom and a leaky shower above it and you know if, if for whatever reason that leaky shower comes through and you it lands on top of those drives having two copies might not be helpful yeah you know If you you happen to be the only person holding on to the two copies, put them in separate rooms, on separate floors, you know, Mm. or in separate places. Uh, We've got a fairly famous story about a a cassette tape that was in a a bank vault, right? Or a a safe deposit box that wound up on a box set, you know, Mm. because nobody had the original recording. And one of the uh, one of the musicians had taken the uh, cassette from the playback party and just, you know, wanted to preserve it. And not not necessarily archival. He didn't know that they were going to be you know as infamous as they are. Lo and behold, that you know whatever it was fifteen eighteen years later, or you know they we needed a copy of it and it didn't exist. This little intro piece thing couldn't find it, and um, it was somebody had it on a cassette. So we we snuck that piece off.
1: And I guess like the the thing is too is is um, a, I'm sorry. And actually,
0: we know. used a lot of the information from that cassette. By the way, oh, really? we actually we, we actually found that some of the some of that transfer the entire cassette transfer sounded better than the the 15 ips copy that we had, had huh yeah
1: and i guess like the thing that is also to just impress upon people is like that thing of like man it it, it is such a thing and you and i both go through it that like 10 to 20 years later people want to hear a new version of that classic yeah. record and like yeah not well, having that yeah. it has like I, I you and I have a perspective that I think a lot of people don't don't have, which is that like I would go as far to say as that ten to twenty percent of the ones we attempt to make of like that fans would want to hear this record redone. They're like, Why don't they do that record? It's like, well, no one did anything right and yeah. it wasn't stored properly and no one could find the tapes no one could find this that, that and like even like one that i was involved in the mixes is like the reason we literally haven't done this is no one knows where the master went because there was a producer and a mixer on the record and they assumed i had it because they were like i'm responsible i'm like i didn't mix the record so i didn't have the master anymore i never right. saw it again and right it's it it is a problem, and if your music has a future and your music is doing well now, you do have to consider like this is worth some of that time.
0: And also, you know, don't like you said, you know, you, you know, you weren't involved in the mastering process or something, so mixing you don't process, really know yeah. where the mixing process, you know, where where the tapes are per se. Um, but you know, don't rely upon either. You know, if you are a musician don't rely, rely upon the engineer to have two backups. Mm-hmm. And if you're the engineer, don't rely, you know, when you hand that one copy to the band member and say, please go make a copy of this when you get home, you know, m- make two copies for them, you know, because they're probably not going to make it, you know. And if you're really going to dump their data off of your drive, you know, and you may want to remix the record someday, you know, and give them two copies.
1: And as well, one of the things you and I have been discussing is, is the idea of that, you see with a lot of your bigger clients who work on the analog boards is that they have to make stems so that they can do easy recalls and because things might not be the same like i've been recently having trouble that you know for years i was sometimes mixing on the neotech board that was in our building and then i was sometimes and i was usually mixing through my dangerous two bus and neither of those are here anymore and right. when I go to right. mix the record, the band's like, oh, you can just run off an instrumental work on a soundtrack. It's like, yeah, guys, that's not just 10 minutes like Pro Tools, like your last record. That is hours of work because I have to now A, B and reconstruct the mix for a while because The thing I was mixing through no longer is it with me
0: yeah I mean you know with so much content being available online and you know everybody wants it you know if you get you know your song into a movie or something and then somebody wants to you know bring it back out and and you know and market it and and put it out on vinyl whatever that situation may be yeah if you don't have access to you know the variety of your mix down files whatever they might have been you know um, you're gonna pay the price you're gonna miss you're gonna miss out and and you have to if you're not doing this for some kind of hope that someday, you know, some mass, you know, group is going to hear this, then I guess it doesn't matter. But I, I don't, I don't, I don't often find that. I think ultimately people do, you want people to hear it and they do hope something happens to it. I think maybe the, you know the. The dream of being, you know, mega stars. that's obviously gone for most people. But, you know, yeah, you want your stuff heard and it takes time. There's so much out there that it takes time. I'm amazed sometimes where, you know, you master a record and, you know, you think it's going to break pretty big or something or the Red label's going to put to a push on it. But it doesn't happen until, you know, six, nine months later, a year later. Then you go, wow, that thing's just kind of bubbling to the top now. You well, know?
1: I mean, that's a big argument in my last book is that when you're a new product, I, don't, I hesitate to use music with products, but like the problem is, is bands imitate the bands they respect, and those bands all try for that first week thing, because the first week's going to determine the tours they get on, and how big the venues, and all that stuff, and impress the rest of the music business, but when no one knows who you are, your first week's going to suck anyway, and it's always around month nine. Like I literally have charted this, of so the sound scan for most bands when they break is about nine months on, and... You could see that time and time again with these groups when they really, really break it. And it's so even like the same thing, like, you know, I'm promoting a book right now. People do not read, people don't read books till they've had them for six months a lot of time. So it's like, it becomes 18 months. Right. Right. <laughs> so yeah. when people, people go, hey, how's it, how's it going with the book? I'm like, it's good. Uh, five people have read it, I guess. Yeah. It's
0: <good."> Yeah, I mean, but, you know, you're right. I mean, back in the analog days, we had to back that stuff up. We had to do the stems. We had to do the instrumental mixes because the recall was just so tedious that it made sense, you know, to like, okay, there's the mix. And then maybe you had an assistant engineer and the assistant stayed for the extra hour and logged those extra, you know, um, mixes you know, to half inch tape or something like that. You know, now we just think, well, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll get around to it. Or, you know, yeah, I can just bounce them out later or whatever it is, you know, but your computer will change, you know, mm-hmm. your, your system will change, you know, whether you're some, like you're saying, using the dangerous summing or not, you know, there could be a situation where somebody wants to pull it up and and you can't recreate it. it
1: the, the, this is the case. And I just had to send you one because the plugin died. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's it's, right. It's just, it, it, this is real life get, right now. Well, we get that all the
0: time too. You know, it's like, oh yeah, I forgot. God, I had to reboot this way with this thing with my left arm up in the air you yeah. know, pointing north or something. We get that all the time from people because they're they're really pushing the limits as to what they're, you know, um, putting onto their their mixes with all these plugins and stuff. And they'll forget and, you know, something, the, which version are they opening? And that's, you know, the purpose of of the archive is, is to remember date wise, you know, when things were, you know, when was something. So this way there's a there's a history of it going down. We, we find that all the time. I, people will say, Alan, hey, can you pull up that record for? Us, you know that we did and I'll go yeah do you remember when it was because otherwise I'm just look, searching for you know the band name and we did seven records or whatever you know yes so try and re- try and with those archives date things you know write on those you know those hard drives just write on them with a sharpie right on top of them when was this backed up what is this don't rely upon being ha- able to have to open the drive to see what's on it just write on it you know yeah
1: this is, this is another thing I, I I I argued in my latest book is that dates mean a lot Because people often can remember what they were doing, whereas mix one can be, and mix eight can be six months apart. When you're trying to find something, if there's just a date, especially in digital files, you could much easily search that number than a lot of other things, uh... Especially in the digital world.
0: And and there are cool backup programs that will allow you to, you know, archive stuff and do that. But most, a lot of, you know, smaller studios, a lot of independent bands aren't using that kind of stuff, you know, so.
1: So let's switch gears to a little less nerdy, teach it, yelling at the kids with arcanes and things that they can actually do. So a discussion you and I, and I think I have with a lot of mixers these days is... We get a lot of bad evaluations of our work where people are basing their decisions off the wrong things. So with mastering, a common thing is somebody walks in and just says a bunch of of opinions, but they're not thinking about what the process actually is. So like they're saying, I really want more kick drum in this song or they're deciding (laughs) that uh, you brought the vocal out a bit and this the triangle track is now obscured a bit, and they're not thinking about that, say, the vocal is actually what helps make people like the song, and the triangle is the thing they'll notice after they've wanted to hear that song ten times because they liked the vocal.
0: Well, that's what the perspective, you know, is supposed to be about, you know. um, So you're saying this
1: in in that you being the objective person who hears this who hasn't heard it a million times you're talking about that factor
0: i think that's i think that's a a, a key factor yeah because you know you used to have you know a and r guys you know you maybe had a producer you had an arranger you know you had people that were professional that were listening and you trusted their best interest in that maybe you don't trust them now or maybe you just don't you're higher you're not hiring those kinds of people but i'm finding that a lot of you know bands and you know maybe even mixing engineers There's quite popular mixing engineers that are mixing by themselves now you know and you know they're they're like you say they're they're sending it off to the band for feedback and the band is just making these crazy things so then the engineer just says alan can you just take a listen to this and tell me if I'm on bass here or not? Because they're saying this or they're saying that, you know. And so there is that fresh perspective. I don't know who it is. Is it the singer that saying the thing about the vocal or is it the guitarist that's saying the thing about the vocal? I'm just listening to it, you know, from the perspective of the the new listener. How does it How does it come across to me? and i th- i think that we're missing that a lot and also with all the revisions that everybody's doing you know i think everybody's just getting lost in the sauce this isn't like they heard a first mix and then they put down their their mix notes and then mixing engineers making all those changes and saying, okay great let's do this how many mix revisions do people go through you know <laughs> i can only imagine you know wow. the dozens you know of things and everybody's always concentrating on that one thing they just made that revision on and not concentrating on the rest of that and they're they're not necessarily you know, taking a poll within the band and trying to come up with, you know, an average comment. They're all just saying this, you know, one guy thinks the guitar is too loud, the other one wants it louder. Okay. (laughs) you know, how, you know, how do you make that happen? And you got to try to think it out and you got to try to say, okay, which one is the guy that wants it quieter? What is he looking for? Maybe he's just looking for more sense of the beat, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe he's not feeling necessarily that the guitar, you know, should be down, but maybe he just wants more sense of where the drive of the, the groove is coming from or something. So you can't necessarily listen verbatim to what they say, but go with the the emotion of what they're saying. Like if he's saying the guitar is too loud, maybe he's saying, you know, other things aren't loud enough because the guitar the other guitarist is saying, Hey, I can't hear my riffs that I'm playing, you know.
1: Yeah, and I think that's one of the things I've been trying to take it back to is like, let's not get away from how listeners hear this and think about (laughs) ego and level things as much as let's think about what's obscuring the emotion and what might make it more emotionally impactful
0: with that because because that's what matters in the long run i mean you know that's what the that's how your public's going to react to it is by the emotional content not by you know how many repeats are on
1: that delay or something you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) um so with that is their best practices? Is there smart things you do? Some you see some of your clients do that. Other people miss out on? Is there there any best practices you can impart for evaluating a mixer or a master?
0: You know, listen in, in an environment that you're used to listening to. You know, mm. I think, you know, there are people that will take, you know, their master and immediately, you know, find somebody with a really cool, you know, a uh, stereo system to go hear it on and then, you know, make their comments that well, obviously that's not going to work. You've never heard that stereo before in your life, you know. Mm. Um, and then the, the opposite truth, you know, where they're making comments about, you know, listening to, you know, the, the mixes, the mastering, uh, on, you know, uh, the, the speaker in your iPhone or on a laptop or something, you know, and and sure that is a way that people are going to hear it, but you can't just, you know, expect people to, uh, only hear it in a limited format like that in a, you know, a a limited frequency response format. So you've got, you've got to find the comfortable place where you're working. I suggest, you know, at least at one point checking it in headphones, because, you know, Mm -hmm. we are in a, big headphone world these days and um and on a, a variety of systems
1: well, well you know you know you know, I, i'm i'm on the argument that the um apple earbuds are the new NS 10s um i love mixing on them i really feel like they help my balances a lot that everything i don't hear on my main speakers i get more input putting those on for a few minutes
0: yeah well you know it, it it's it's kind of like you know the the could be the first way that people are hearing it. Like you're saying, YouTube is that with the way people are discovering music. It's like, mm-hmm. well, when the first time they're hearing it, maybe, you know, they're, they may be ha- just have, be in their car and with their phone or just something they're doing that they have their phone and they've got their earbuds and that's how they're listening to it. So if it doesn't work on earbuds, it might not, you know, make it to the other formats.
1: Yeah. And I mean, there, there was that, that fact published years ago that, uh, you know, the, the, a Macintosh laptop is the most popular music format for ingesting music. Wow, yeah, I mean, you know, it's undeniable that's the mo- most uh frequently used and not differentiated playback system. Right, right. So, well, <laughs> well there you go. There you go. We, we 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 can all enjoy that. I, I mean, the other thing though, I do find find that I think has helped me is I try to tell um, people to listen to a, a minimum of three songs that are somewhat similar to your record that you listen to regularly, because I right. think it grounds people's perspective. Right. Um, it grounds my perspective. I have to do it when I'm really um, in the grind on a record on Revision 7 and we're making really hard decisions. I do find returning to what I love and what's familiar uh, can often help me make better decisions.
0: Yeah, and I mean, you know, you got to remember too that um, that is how it might be ingested in a, in a shuffle mode for mm-hmm. people. You know, like even though you may put an album in, you may, you know, create a playlist of that album, a lot of people, it will come up into a shuffle and it will get juggled around amongst your other favorite things. So, yeah, that's a that's a great way to listen. That's how I listen on the weekends, you know, to stuff is I have, uh, you know, it all gets uploaded to the sharing playlist here. And and at home, I can just tap into that and it just goes into shuffle mode. And depending upon, you know, what happens to be, you know, live in my shuffle is what it gets compared to. So
1: So let's get into some other uh, frequently asked. Well, actually, one other thing
0: you were were mentioning, which is great about the earbud, you know, it's like it's like we were saying that the YouTube is the way that we discover it, the earbud is the most popular, you know, format that we're maybe first hearing it on. But there are, you know, once you get endeared to a record, you do wind up listening to it in other formats like vinyl, you know, and that's really perhaps where you fall in love with the artist or something. You know, there may be that instantaneous kind of like the pop radio, like you heard it in a transistor radio, you heard in the car radio, whatever it was that drew you to that. So it's got to work across those multiple formats. But ultimately, if you're going to have a record that's going to have, you know, sustaining power, that's going to last around, it's got to cross over onto those other formats. It's got to sound great in other formats. Because when people sit down for vinyl, they're not sitting down for a 30 second blast. They're sitting down for 18 minutes, 22 minutes of of an album that they love and that that should sound great.
1: Yeah, and I think that that, that's one of the things that I think a lot of people have trouble just like we were talking about how they can't see the first week versus the nine month thing is the, you know, the uh, flings versus the relationship listens Uh, that like you do need to make a really great first impression, but you also have to have lasting power. And I think people often sway too hard on one side of the scale that they want all wow factors initially and then not enough depth or they want so much depth that they're forgetting that people have to want to hear this a second time right right so now with that is there artistically whatever is there something you can do you think like i mean i know that a lot of people are starting to really disbelieve in um sequencing like i you know i've particularly found some of the youtube artists i've mastered for when I say, okay, what's the sequence? They literally don't know what I'm talking about.
0: Right, right. <laughs> or they say, you do it. Can you put it together? What, yeah. yeah what, what, that, what
1: order would you do? Da, 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 And, you know, while that is silly to people who love classic rock and things like that, but we are living in a playlist world. So when somebody says to you what you put it in your order, what type of sequence thoughts do you normally have?
0: I mean, I I... I mean, I can only go old school on that to start from, you know, I mean, it, it you know, that there's got to be a first song that, you know, just is indicative of the album. Maybe not the, you know, the, the outright, you know, most popular song or something. But, you know, you don't want to you don't want to turn somebody off at the beginning of that playlist. But you want to get to you know, the good songs, if you will, you know, the the hit songs, you want to get to those pretty early. I mean, how many times I can't tell you, I tell people, you know, it's like the sequence is 12 songs and, you know, song number nine, 10 or 11 is clearly the best song. And you Mm -hmm. go, you know, well, why is this there? And they go, well, you know, we really want to end with a bang. I'm like, they're not going to get there, you know, so you got to bring it forward. folks. And really, you know, yeah, or or, know,
1: or it was that that song was written two years ago at the, right, the yeah, songs two and the songs yeah. two, two
0: and three were written three months ago. But again, it gets back to that, you know, that person with person with the fresh perspective, you know. That, you know, who's going to who's going to be doing that? An A&R guy would do it. A vice president. I've seen that happen in the past where, you know, yeah, the A&R guy is very involved in the project or was involved in the project. And then as it gets passed on to the vice president at a label or something, now they're making their judgment because they've never they haven't heard. They go, okay, what are we spending this, you know, X amount of dollars on? Let me hear it. And then that now they've got the real world, you know, in their hand and they go, no, nah, it ain't working. That song at the end is far. Oh, uh, yeah, we've been hearing that. You know, we were tired of it. So,
1: yeah. You know. And this is this is like, um, you know, as somebody who's um, made a lot of their soapbox of trashing the bad practices of major labels. I mean, this is one thing like I, I argue that the face check in approach of like, let's hear demos before you go to the studio. Is a really great practice of making oh, yeah. sure, and then let's hear rough mixes before we pay a mixer ten thousand dollars to mix the record.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, those I agree with you. I mean, obviously, the, the the major labels, you know, had their heyday and they were, you know, they were raking in on the profits and not turning it over to where it needed to go. So, absolutely, we can we can put them into their place there. But the the process that they use to to make the records great, you know, mm-hmm. often, you know, shouldn't be shunned because it, it kind of worked, you know.
1: Yeah, I, I think this is an usual case of the baby going with the bathwater of, like, there were some good things in here. That was part of it. Now, then, again, you get into some um, of the A&R men who are clueless and had no idea how to evaluate things that ruined this and disparaged it. But there's always a bad apple in the bunch. You know, and I
0: mean, obviously, there, yeah, there are bad apples. But I think, you know, I haven't seen in years um, any you know major player manager in guy whomever step on the artistic you know, creativity of an artist. I think I think by and large, unless you're one of those top line singers, you know, and and just doing a solo thing and coming out with a couple of singles or whatever, where you you, you might as well just let them, you know, take hold take hold of your career. Most most of the guys that w- we work with or that we like to work with, you know, they have a lot of respect for the artists. That's why they're signing them on. And 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 these days especially as well, when an artist signs to a label, you've got to have respect for that label because you know you don't really need them to just get the record out there. You, you know, you respect this this label for their opinion. And you know, trying to help you get somewhere. So there's a lot of interplay between
1: them, you know. I guess the other bad part of it is like, you know, we always hear this story. I mean, it's like, I feel like it's the most common trope of like, the person who signed us then left. And it's <laughs> yes. like, you, you, you know, and that person was the person who emotionally understood your music and liked it. And now you're dealing with somebody who does not. And uh... yeah,
0: yeah, what are you going to do about that? I, I, you know, that's, that's, yeah, that sucks. You know, I mean, I, that's a lot of the stories for a lot of people, you know. And I don't, I don't know what to say other than get into that record company's office and, you know, convince them that you're awesome now still, even though that Android guy that signed you is gone.
1: So ideally, if we were talking about that, that process, um, What's a breakdown in the evaluation before it gets to you and when it's during gets to you that can be easily avoided?
0: We're, we're kind of past the multiple mixes standpoint. We, we, we I think we're getting, you know, because of the internet, because of that, we can mm. we can throw things around to a lot of different people and everybody's getting their opinions. I think by and large, I'm not doing, we're not doing, you know, the vocal up version and the vocal down. Can we hear each one, you know, or whatever. I think pre- people are pretty much settling on, on where that's going. An, a, an area where I think they're also choosing a lot of sense is 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 in this in the song order. We're getting, you know, we're getting fully, you know, sequenced masters from a lot of people. Like they're putting a lot of thought into that. Formats as well. People ahead of time knowing they're going for vinyl, you know. Alan, this is going to be we want this to sound awesome on vinyl. Okay, great. You know, we don't that's not now I'm not having to convince them of that. This is uh this is a good thing. Also maybe um, you know, convincing them for, you know, alternate um digital formats, which mm. is, you know, now going to be a big play for them and again if they've had them maybe the, maybe the record companies are so convinced the bands but maybe they weren't sold on it themselves but now they have more dynamic masters out there that will start to sound that will start to surface and start to sound good i was you know i was amazed i thought i saw a mastodon on uh, hdtracks.com on like mm. the like the fourth biggest seller um one week on hdtracks so it's you know these higher format higher resolution sites aren't just for elite jazz people it's actually Coming on now full strong with um, rock rock bands, you know.
1: I think a lot of people don't see their music as being something that people are going to care about in a hi-fi way because their fans are. But, you know, there's always that thing of that. If you're selling a lot of records, um, there's a lot of people who want to bond with that record and have that deep relationship we were talking about.
0: Right. And and you got to remember you know this is this was a, one of the biggest common misnomers in mastering is that like that the vinyl mastering is a completely you know new mastering it, it is different. Absolutely. It requires a little different. So, subtlety. so,
1: so tell us how it's different.
0: Uh, low frequencies, you know, uh, either a, you can't load up on subharmonic stuff and B, it can't be out of phase just right mm. away. Those two, those, those two things. And if you do have a song that has a lot of low end and you want to make sure that that comes across, then it can't be on track five. You know, it can't be on an inner groove because there's just not the real estate there. There's, there's the space. It's a physical thing. There's not enough room to really, you know, put a thicker uh, gro- groove in there. The high end is just gonna get distorted from mm. from the low frequencies. So there's that, there's the high frequency distortion. You want, a, you want a little bit more high frequency compression on a vinyl master, you know, but you're not necessarily changing, you know, the tone on the, you know, the mid-range on the guitar that the guitarist loved or something like that. So, but my, uh, you know, because the alternate formats aren't that much more, you know, time to export, you know, they should be available. Um, if you're doing a mastered for iTunes version, you should have a full 24, uh, 96 version for HD tracks as well, just because you, you, you know, even if you sold 15 copies there,
1: yes, you know, um, well, I think there's a big thing is that you want to always be available for however your fans want to bond with you. Cause those bonds mean big yeah, things and that, it's not just the person who sells it. Oh yeah, it's 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 not even just the person who, who does it. It's that person who has a bond with you. Is also the person who evangelizes you to other people. And usually, those people who develop those bonds are also the people who are telling other people about you all the time.
0: Isn't doesn't Malcolm Gladwell say something about that? About like you find there's that one person that gets the ball rolling. Is that the outlier or
1: uh, yeah? I mean, it's a big Seth Godin thing too. Is like or the Seth idea Godin. the the, yeah. the idea of sneezers and the you know, the tastemaker, and that that's the person who really helps right. bring you to that tipping point
0: right we have we both have a friend who's you know an audiophile writes for Mm -hmm. one of the the highbrow audiophile magazines and you know and he's a rock you wouldn't you wouldn't think he is but you know if he got something and it sounded great on vinyl he might write a great review of it and then other you know and then people are going to start buying it for the vinyl purposes sonically alone and that could just create enough of a of a you know kickstart to something to start
1: getting you noticed It's, it's totally true and uh accumulating that subtlety as you would say uh... Yeah, you You have. to. Yeah. And that's what those that's what the, you know, the
0: multi formatted future to me is. It's about accumulating those subtleties. It's this again, if it were if you were charging a full on mastering price for each format that then it would be ridiculous. And then only obviously the major labels would be able to afford anything like that. But, you know, it's it's just a tiny percentage extra to get those. And very often, I I don't know, in in your case, and other cases, you know, our our office is throwing them in. You know, it's just like, all right, well, if you're doing this, you're doing this, we'll give you this part of it, you know, because we're doing that. You know, so it's just it's just, you know, it's everybody's going to sound better and it just, you know, it's better for the band. It's better for us. It's better for the audience.
1: So is there anything else you want to hit before I give you a lightning round of technical things?
0: Really? The only thing is just when we're talking about multi-track digital backups, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and a hard drive, we're talking about, you know, we're talking about storing sessions that are readable by a particular DAW, a particular program with a certain revision number and a certain number of plugins loaded in. It was it was somewhat common practice a few years ago because there weren't tons of plugins to know to do what we call flatten those files out, you know, to you know take those, you know, 24 tracks of digital with the plugins on them and 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 store those plugins re-record those tracks with those plugin settings stored so you have a version of that you know rhythm guitar track on you know track 18 on the digital daw without the plugins and you have a version of it with it so that this way you know, 10 years later when you boot it open and you don't have that plugin or you don't have that DAW, you've got a version of that track with the processing. Well, we're not talking about 24 tracks and DAWs anymore. We're talking about 100, if not even more tracks. So this gets a little more difficult. So that's where the stems start to come into be a play. You know, people will think that stems are a big, you know, help in mastering and sometimes they are, but they can also help in recreating the mix later. So if, if you can flat flatten the files, that's awesome. You know, even if, even if they're just, you know, just the the main plugins, maybe not the reverbs, maybe not the you know the um, vocal rides or whatever the volume rides or anything like that, but the the, the the plugins that are making the big difference on those tracks, you should be storing flattened versions of those, and also stay save though in the DAW, save it as an older version. So if you're in Pro Tools 12, whatever, save a version in eight or seven, seven through nine, I think it's it's known as, or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, although it, it's going to say, well, you know, clip data, you know, this, all this data is going to be lost. You know, it's like, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Because maybe when you try to retrieve this, the only computer that's going to open it is going to be running Pro Tools nine rather than 12. So, you know, and it, it's, it's just a click, you know, it's it, where well, I'm not talking about, you know, some doing something that's going to take hours, just save it as an older version, you know, gotcha. That's, that's the main thing I, like I said i think people think that when they take their multi-track sessions and they back them up to a hard drive that okay it's safe it's it, it's all there mm. it's like no and and take screenshots screenshots of your plugins can be so helpful because if you yeah. if you had an eq that you had on some i mean and it just takes a second and it's you know it's a small amount of memory to take just take, you don't even have to label them if you don't want but just take a bunch of screenshots of all those little plugins well you know, i
1: I've had to learn that the hard way because when Flux's plugins upgraded they don't open uh, new versions right. which and I email them about it and they they are concerned in the least they're like yeah go go die whatever
0: Well I know an engineer that had a, a problem it was like he was saving all of his settings in his you know library of settings you know mm. and then he up, he upgraded his 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 DAW and uh, and it didn't it didn't write those back in, and he was just like, "What am I going to do?" And I'm like, "Go back to the old." I can not go back, you know. Yeah. So screenshots, screenshots. You know, you know. We talk about it in the old days. We used to take Polaroids, right? In the multi, oh, yeah. In the multi-studios. Now we have the phones to take pictures of an analog studios, and I see that all the time with people. They're they're going around to their work here rather than you know documenting it on sheets like we used to. Now it's just taking screenshots. Ever ever. We'll just, take, yeah, it's just it's the best thing, you know. Take those because
1: you're going to regret it, you know. So. You ready for a lightning round of the, the, the common technical questions that I know only you will have the best knowledge on? Let's try, sure. DDP versus digital delivery for CDs. You mean DDP on a, on a DVD-R? Or, uh, or, uh, well, well, I'm well, more DDP. Saying, so, uh, saying DDP instead of just 12 oh. wave tracks. Oh, DDP without a doubt. Absolutely. Because
0: all your metadata is intact, and we just had some uh, one of the pressing companies screwed up on a pressing, and they tried to blame it on you know whatever, and we you know we resent the email that had the DDP and, and PQ sheet, and sure enough, they messed they messed it up. Their uh, LBR, their their pressing machine, um, for some reason, didn't dump the prior artist's information, and it carried over. So there was proof there, you know, and all and and you get a chance to check it. You get to have a readout of what all that metadata is. You can and you can send it to multiple locations. Well, you can do that with the waves too but there's you know you could you technically the audio quality is the same obviously um or can be the same but there's you know at least a half a dozen if not a dozen ways that you know you can screw up putting those waves together and have a little click or a pop in between things and with the ddp if it's being handled by a a good replication company it's not going to get messed up the audio is going to be great so
1: recording at 96 and then going down to 48 to mix. It's just, why? <laughs> why?
0: Well, a know, lot of people
1: th- say they don't have the plug in power. I mean, uh, yeah. I, and I, that happened to me with,
0: you know, a very popular, uh, mixer that, that i like working with. And, and, you know, his line of reasoning was, you know, his workflow, um, because of the track count can't handle it, you know, and that's what he's doing. And, and that's a valid reason. I, so I go, absolutely. You know, if, if, if you're hindering your production because of the the technical, you know, specs that you're trying to keep, then that's not worth it. I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, try and, you know, support that argument at all. But, but I see a lot of people just automatically doing that rather than, like I said, what is it? Is it two or three tracks that are pushing it over the limit in the DSP flatten those tracks and stay at 96.
1: Especially now that Pro Tools has freeze and commit. Right there, you go. What about Jakir King's claim that analog gear doesn't handle 96 as well as 48? I, uh, you know, <laughs> you're not buying that one. No, I'm not buying that one.
0: Uh, you know, not. I'm, I mean, I heard that and I was just like, all right, it's gonna it's gonna be a great tweet or something that's gonna go around for a while and he's gonna get some you know action out of it, but it doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. You know, it's it's, it's almost the absolute opposite. You know. Hmm. so
1: i i agree i i think uh there's there's no doubt in my mind that i feel like i lose some magic when i leave 96 yeah and i do do it sometimes because the track count but uh okay and then how about even though you didn't record at 96 making that 96 master is there anything that could be done to make that sound more right
0: the analog domain yeah you know, uh, you know, summing in the analog. You know, if you're mixing, if you're mastering, you know, going into the analog domain, and even if you're tracking, you know, um, I, you know, we say this, you know, often where it's like, you know, yeah, you've got all these plugins, you got all this stuff, but you've got other cool analog gear in your room when you're tracking. Take it out of the door, put it, put it to back it out to an analog EQ or compressor, and take it back in. Just try it, see what see what it sounds like, see if you like it. Most of the time, I think people like it and 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 you know enjoy even the the tactileness of that. That funk of that process so so yeah so it, we, we you know we get a lot I'd probably say I don't know uh, a third to half actually is probably at 48 or 44 you know maybe not half but but maybe a little less but but um, yeah taking it through the analog
1: domain to try to capture more air um, is worthwhile okay you have $4,000 and you could spend it on a monitor upgrade a converter upgrade or a mic preamp upgrade where do you spend it
0: if you're if you're recording in a DAW the converters mm. It's cuz it's something you can't vary mic prees you can vary you know you can move the mic farther away closer away you know monitors you can you can change your room acoustics you can do many things converters you're stuck get the best mm. possible converters you can get
1: so converters over monitors. You always told me, uh, t- told me monitors is the most important. You said $4,000. $4, okay. So, you, so you more <laughs> think that there's not good $4,000 monitors. Well, yeah, I think, um, no, I'm, I guess,
0: you know, it's the, the room acoustics probably such a big factor into that too. You know, just going out and buying expensive speakers and putting them into a room that's flawed, isn't going to help you, you know, especially on low frequency, uh, evaluation. So, um, it you know whereas you can do you can have a you know a a lesser quality speaker monitor system um, that you can improve by having better room acoustics. You know, just by you know, simple you know, trapping in the corners. You know, um, you know, panels, diffusion panels. You know, absorption panels. You can you can do things to get the speakers to sound better. And most people don't, even with the four thousand dollars speakers. Mm-hmm. But like I say, you can vary. The, the, my my answer is stemming from those are variable. Those you have other variables that you can do things with because you, we've done that. We've been in situations like that where you know you 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 walk into a control room and you're trying to get a sense of it. And you know, these monitors don't sound right. So you move them out two inches and you move them, you know, you move them back and you say, oh, if I, if I sit here, this is good. This is the one I'm used to hearing. Converters, you're stuck. You know, that's it. You, you don't have really an option you know, of, of having a different color converter or something. So I, I would go with the converter.
1: Okay. Then I, I, I was going to leave it at that, but then I, then I have to go there though. So for a bedroom producer, you really think it's worth the investment to work on acoustics? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know, something don't, don't just leave it up to fate, you know, and don't just leave it up to headphones. My God. Even though you know we we've talked about the fact that you know headphones are a predominant way that people are you know consuming or at least you know finding music, uh, you you can't possibly you know uh, recreate you know room the way music you know envelops a room just from a set of headphones. Headphone checks are awesome. They're they're mm. they're very important, but, you know, um, spend some money on some acoustics, you know, and there's plenty of stuff out there that's very affordable. And there's lots of information on the companies where you get this from those, you know, the, the, uh, the you know, the online music companies. And there's information about how to, how to kind of tune in your room. You're not going to get a flat room. No one really has a flat room. You're not going to get it down to the, you know, the 60, 50, 40 cycle range, but, you know, that you can you can check a bit in headphones you know that you can take it take your mixes out and check them around in different places but um you know that that ever so present you know 200 300 400 mid-range you know that that's where a lot of people screw up and if you have some simple traps on the side walls and things you can try and eliminate some of that ringing in those frequencies
1: If you enjoyed this episode please remember the golden rule of the internet that if you enjoy something you got for free please tweet facebook share or tell your friends about it in whatever way you like to do that please check out noise creators website and take a look around we have tons of interviews discographies spotify playlists from all the best producers out there on our service if you are unsure about who your band should work with we can help you get the best producer fit for your record to keep up with us follow at noise creators on twitter instagram soundcloud tumblr or facebook This podcast can also be found wherever podcasts are found, including iTunes and Stitcher. I'm your host, Jesse Cannon. I can be found on Twitter at Cannon or at jessecannon.com. Again, please help spread the word about this podcast and what Noise Creators does so we can keep this going.
0: This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.